Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Damar Hamlin uh, remains in critical condition in ICU in Cincinnati. Uh, But the team, the Buffalo Bills, did release uh, some good news earlier today. Outkick 360 rolls on. DeMar remains in the ICU critical condition with signs of improvement, noted yesterday and overnight. He's expected to remain under intensive care as his health care team continues to monitor and treat him. So that's more in step and in line with positive than anything negative. Signs of improvement is good. Yeah, can be uh, construed there. So that's, that's great. Earlier, uh, Jordan Rooney, who's the family spokesperson as part of the marketing team, uh, he gave the update on Hamlin and said, quote, I can't speak specifically on his medical condition. All I can say is he's fighting. He's a fighter. The family's in good spirits. We're honestly just taking it minute by minute, hour by hour. What's most important is give the family their privacy. His family is going through a lot right now. Uh, But he did go on to say that uh, based on that report from from the Bills, he said that's accurate. There has been improvement in the the signs that the doctors wanted to see. Um, they were pleased with what they saw overnight. No details, though. Yeah, it's um, it's getting strange that we're not getting any details involved. But I mean, the, the improvement's a good word to put in there, right? I just I feel like we're about to reach the time where well, they're so, going to have either the doctor releasing a statement or the family saying more. In detail, so I'm a little hesitant to get overly optimistic or excited until I hear more details. But yep. hearing the word improvement does give me a little bit more reassurance. Yeah, it's like they're still walking that tightrope. Yes, you know, yeah. and they don't want to say one thing or the other for fear that you know it would, could go the opposite way in any direction. There, Armando Salguero is about to join us because uh, the news they they just held a a conference call with. Uh, NFL personnel, I believe Jeff Miller was on the call um, and maybe one or two others, but uh, for sure, uh, NFL executive vice president for communications, Jeff Miller was there uh, and he was discussing and has tried to lay out everything that they're going through with the process in regards to, are they going to play this game after week 18 or are they not? Um, And it's still up in the air. Troy Vincent, who was on the call said literally this morning we began to, we began to dive into the possibility of not playing the game at all, and that's what Chad you and I got into uh, about what 15 20 minutes ago is if you don't how do you determine tiebreakers if you just say hey this is a no contest because I it was very difficult for me to find anything in regards to a no contest with the NFL tiebreaking rules. You can find things on ties, and if you have two or three teams tied and how you go about trying to break that tie, either for a number one seed, uh, conference, or a, a potential division winner. You know, there's a set protocol in place with the bylaws. In this case, they're having to come up with it this week and having to determine what they're going to do moving forward. And he did admit, Troy Vincent did admit, hey, uh, this is not going to be fair for everyone. 
It's not, there's no perfect system given this situation if we choose not to play this game. Yeah, and I think that's the, the big point You know, we were discussing, Hutton, is someone's going to be left out here, right? I mean, there's just no way around it at this point in time, even if it's the Bills and the Bengals having to come back and play a week later on a weekend by themselves. Yeah. And then you have those teams that get the bye, you know, some of them waiting three weeks to play a game. There's no easy solution to this. There's no simple solution that factors in everyone and, you know, make sure everyone's going to be okay. And, you know, there has to be some type of compromise uh, with that. Armando Salguero joins us. He was a part of this call with the NFL. Armando, uh, great coverage as always at, at OutKick. All options are on the table. That's what the league is saying. How many options are there that they're referring to? Well, option one is they don't play and they don't make the game up, right? And I'm not saying option one, as in that's their first option. I'm saying option one, as in I'm giving you the first option according to me. (laughs) So that's option one. They don't play. They go forward with whatever games are played this week. The Buffalo Bills will play the New England Patriots this week. The Cincinnati Bengals will play the Baltimore Ravens this week. What happens after that could be up in the air. They both could end up with a 12 and four record, which suggests to me that if the NFL is considering to going with a winning percentage, that doesn't help, especially if the bills and the Bengals have to play each other and someone has to decide where that game is played. Uh, they would have the same winning percentage and they will not have finished the suspended game. So there is no head to head. Other option is to play the week after the final, you know, regular season games are played uh, either on a Thursday, maybe, or next Sunday. That would kind of trigger the moving back of the, the entire playoff schedule. In other words, Wild card weekend, which begins not this weekend, but the following weekend, it now goes back a week because next weekend what we get is the Bills and the Bengals. Then divisional round weekend goes back a week. Then championship, conference championship games go back a week. And where we make it all up so that the Super Bowl is played as scheduled, uh, I believe is February 12th, is that they do not have the Super Bowl bye week, so to speak. In other words, the extra week between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl, that goes away, and we just end the season on the 12th as scheduled. And see, many are pointing to that as a perfect solution, but Armando, as you pointed out, there is no perfect solution here because in that scenario, there's a potential, there's guaranteed to be one, maybe two teams that would be out and not playing for 21 days. 20 to 21 days. Philadelphia and potentially Kansas City would be in that same boat. That is that is true. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, where I come from in my country, in Cuba, we have this thing called scrimmages, and teams can scrimmage against themselves if they want to. And if there is some team that won 13, 14 games that's going to complain about not playing for two weeks or three weeks, have at it, because I know a lot of teams would rather have it that way 
than playing every single week for the last, you know, what is it? Uh, the last buys were a month ago and we would go, they would be going two and a half months without stopping. So pick your poison. So how, how much time is needed to make this, make this decision? I know they said in the coming days, like, does that mean they're going to wait and see the results of week 18? Or does that mean we'll know what's going? I know we don't necessarily know for a fact how, how long, but I mean, you've got to make sure you have a process in place and you have stadiums available for all these teams that are going to be hosting playoff games. Yeah, that's interesting, Jonathan, because, um, look, uh, the NFL is a deadline league, right? And the deadline is Sunday evening. That's the deadline. And the reason that that's the deadline is because it's Sunday evening. We will know the results of all the games. And my guess is that the NFL at that point will see exactly where the Kansas City Chiefs stand, exactly where the Buffalo Bills stand, exactly where the Cincinnati Bengals stand, and figure out a solution based off of that. If the Bengals uh, have no shot of, of getting the number one seed or the Bills have no shot of getting the number one seed, then the problem is solved and they can indeed postpone the game because Kansas City, come what may from a, from a Bengals-Bills matchup, would still be the number one seed. So that game is moot. It would change nothing. And so therefore, why play it? Are you still in Cincy? I am. You like my hotel? Is yeah. yeah, it's blurred out. I'm, yeah. So it, yeah, what what has coverage been like in the last couple of uh, what day and a half as you've stuck around to cover Demar Hamlin and uh, just the reaction to all of this and and the news that's coming out of this? Yeah, it's an interesting assignment. Um, so basically, I go back and forth between the hotel and and the hospital, which is where the the story is. And sometimes you get family members that come out. Yesterday, uh, Uncle D, Dorian Glenn, who is uh, Damar Hamlin's uncle, came out and spoke about, you know, his situation and they drove from Pittsburgh on Monday night, Tuesday morning. They packed two cars and, and headed this way. And also the ants came out. Bill's Mafia, which is the Bill's fans, they're everywhere. And they have set up a little kind of like a shrine, um, a memorial to DeMar. There's a number three. There's a flag. There's a Bill's flag. They light candles. They have candlelight vigils. That there was two of them yesterday. Um, it's kind of interesting. Today I met this gentleman who is from Detroit, um, and he was standing right in front of that Bill's memorial to Demar with a ten foot cross that he built and brought in his F one fifty from Detroit, so that you know, he could help people and be a kind of a beacon of faith for everyone who wanted to, you know, come to the cross and pray and, you know, feel whatever they needed to feel 
to make them feel better. Look, um, we had this episode in 2001 uh, on September 11th, and I'm not saying this is that, right? Because the loss of life then was unthinkable and unimaginable, and there has been no loss of life now. But there are events in our lives that that people that force people to go to their faith and whatever faith they may have and 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 kind of lean on that. And I would say to you that this is one of those because there's not been one person who I've talked to in this whole entire time that hasn't talked about praying for for Demar. Even every single NFL team has put up a Twitter, you know, their Twitter picture, their avatar is pray for Demar. Uh, yesterday on ESPN, you know, you've got one of the co-hosts praying for Demar, and God bless him, man. I mean, in there's a lot of things wrong with this country. That's right about this country, in my opinion. People having faith and showing it and wanting to lift up a guy who needs help and we can't help him necessarily. Uh, if we can find that help in prayer, let's do it. Amen. So how many media members uh, stayed back? You're obviously a national media member that's there. I'm sure there's others. But how many of the Bills media actually stayed back in Cincinnati to cover this story and not go back with the team, Armando? Yeah, there's a couple of Bills media that are still here. Uh, obviously, ESPN is here. NFL Network is here. And then all of the local, you know, Cincinnati channels and and publications are here. So and what, what they've all done, most of them is they've set up little tents under which they hang out until there's something to report or they've got a, a hit uh, for their respective network or channel. Um, I don't have a tent. I did. I did not pack my tent. For this trip, because I did not expect to need a tent for this trip. Uh, so if it rains, I'm out there without a tent. If it's sunny, I'm out there without a tent. And it's not about me. It's about a damn tent. I need to go shopping for a tent here in the next few days. Well, I'm, I'm going to get on Amazon during the break. How long are you going to be there? And I'll uh, we'll, we'll send you one on behalf of the show. Right. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, I believe that either today or tomorrow will be my last day here. OK, um, we are we are expecting Outkick is going to uh, and has requested a credential to cover the Bills game on Sunday against the Patriots. And I believe that's the Jim Nance Romo game, is it not? I'm not sure who's doing the, the play by play. I think that's uh, I think that's Nance Romo and Wolfson, I think. Uh, which, I mean, it, the national spotlight will be on that game for sure, uh, without question. Uh, Armando, great coverage with this. Uh, thanks for the insight. And uh, who knows, in the coming days, we'll know exactly what's going to be uh, the playoff picture. But most importantly, hopefully, uh, sooner than days, plural, we'll have a, a better outlook for however uh, DeMar Hamlin's recovering right now. Indeed. Thank yeah. you, gentlemen. Thank you, man. Armando Salguero there. Uh Great update there and more at Outkick.com. Coming up, Clay Travis joins us. We'll discuss 
Damar Hamlin. We'll get into the college football playoff. Titans, Jags playing for the AFC South crowd. All of that and more straight ahead on OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. Joined by Clay Travis. Joins us each week at this time. The president, founder of Outkick. And, uh, of course, you can catch him with Clay and Buck as well. Clay, hope you're well. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you guys. Everything's going well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, same here. Same here. Um, the the coverage of uh, the DeMar Hamlin uh, cardiac arrest... I, I've, Chad and I have been discussing this the last two days. We, we've never seen anything like this uh, in regards to the, the incident, the, the collapse happening in the middle of the field. All the medical personnel is there. They immediately take him to the hospital. There's no sideline reports going on. There's really no information. Uh, were you as glued to the TV as we were? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was, you know, like most people watched uh, the Rose Bowl or most sports fans, I guess, watched the mm -hmm. Rose Bowl between Utah and Penn State and then flipped on Monday Night Football because I was looking forward to seeing Josh Allen against Joe Burrow in the battle to see who's going to be the number one seed in the AFC. Um, and uh, yeah, look, um, it, certainly the, the, the pivot occurred rapidly from, you know, sports as entertainment to life and death story. And, uh, and, and frankly, from that moment forward, I mean, I think I was on Fox news, uh, you know, three different hits that evening. And I've, you know, kind of been doing, uh, media all over the place ever since, uh, you know, traditional non-sports media, right. Yeah. Megan Kelly's show, um, uh, Laura Ingram show, uh, podcast wise. So this is a story that, uh, that translated or transcended sports and went into the larger cultural ecosystem in a way, frankly, that most sports stories don't necessarily do. It took, um, you know, what, what ordinarily is the front page of the sports section and put it on the front page of the newspaper. Clay, I feel like when something like this happens, uh, oftentimes people go in search of a, a villain with all of this, and uh, that villain was presented in Skip Bayless with his with his tweet. Yeah. Curious about your thoughts on the reaction to his tweet, then what's happened on, on their show. It's a weird thing because when I first read it, I, I had to do a double take on what everyone was so outraged about because of the way the tweet ended. Hutton even brought up the point that if he, they just would have flipped the start to the end of the tweet, it would have been a little bit softer, that what he was saying and, and the yeah, way it was interpreted. The same way. What, what was your reaction to it? Yeah, so the internet's a blame factory. Uh, I, I think I wrote about this in one of my books. And once you understand that basic premise, so much of what goes on on the internet makes sense, right? Event happens, doesn't matter what the event happens that is, that goes viral, that a lot of people care about, and then blame is immediately assessed. And, uh, and, and so, 
obviously no one is in favor of uh, of anyone being hurt in a general sense, right? So uh, everyone is wishing DeMar Hamlin well, wants him to get healthy. So everyone sees that happen. Um, and actually, OutKick was uh, evidently one of the first places to get targeted before Skip took all the oxygen out of the uh, social media balloon. Uh, uh, of outrage because we shared a video of the player collapsing after the hit and people are like, Oh my God, how in the world do you put that up? And you know, I'm like, well, 100%. I mean, I think I retweeted it. I'm always of the opinion that you should share the primary source material. This has happened uh, for a while in sports. The first time I really remember it was the Kevin Ware broken leg. If you guys remember yes, that, at Louisville, yes. we talked about where it earlier today. Was just yeah. like, yeah, where everybody immediately on the internet simultaneously was like, oh my goodness, how dare you share that video? Um, and, you know, that one was, you know, somewhat graphic, but this, I think you had to share it because my position on it is, um, you know, only 15 or 20 million people are watching uh, the game when it happens and see that live video incident. And then you're talking about something that lots of people have never seen. And so I think allowing people to see what the news is, is important to allowing them to understand what happened and to further contextualize their opinions going forward. Uh, but this is, this happens in sports media all the time. Um, you have to have the exact same opinion as everyone else. And if you stray a little bit outside the, outside the boundaries of acceptable opinion, it's an emotional place. And people want to react emotionally and they're angry and they're upset and they want to transfer that anger and that upset. And sometimes that fear, uh, depending on what the powerful emotion is to someone who they believe steps outside the lines of what acceptable discourse is. Um, I saw Skip's tweet. I immediately knew that it was going to be controversial. Uh, I don't even think that, you know, he is in the controversy business, but I don't think when he drafted that tweet, he was thinking that it was that controversial to you guys point. If you reverse the order and you started with that question um, and, uh, and, and, Oh, by the way, I think it's something that everybody is naturally thinking about, right? Yes. Okay. If they canceled the game, how do you figure out who is going to be the overall number one seed in the AFC? That's not because you're rooting for the player to have something bad happen to him. Everybody wants, like I used to go on my show all the time and say, Hey, just for the record, I'm anti-death. Like, and I used to have to say this all the time during the COVID era when people were like, Oh, we've got to shut down schools. We've got to shut down every business. You should never leave your house. You can't go to the beach. You can't go for a hike. You can't go to the gym, which by the way, was the exact opposite evidence. Now, uh, uh, opposite advice of what we should have been giving, right? If we want to mandate anything, we should have tried to mandate exercise because number one way to fight COVID is to be healthy. But larger context, people were like, oh, you want everybody's grandma to die. Like, no, I, I wish everybody's grandma lived forever, right? I'm very pro-grandma. I don't know that anybody's loved grandmas <laughs> and grandpas more than me in the recorded history of sports media. So I'm anti-death, right? Like, I wish no one ever died. But we have to figure out in some way if we're going to crown a Super Bowl champion how to deal with a game being suspended and not played. So what he was guilty of is asking a question that many people were thinking at a time when it was not considered appropriate to be asking that question on social media, right? A day later, everybody would be, you know, immediately kind of step in and have an opinion. 20 minutes after the collapse, people are like, they want to be angry at someone. They were angry that we posted video. 
you know, the, the sea is angry, my friend, I think was a, a George Costanza uh, a theme. But you know, whenever there's something that goes viral like this, and it's an awful story, people are looking to channel that anger at someone, at something. It's interesting today, I just shared a few videos. Now football is the target, right? Football is the reason that Hamlin was injured. Is football too dangerous? I just saw that question asked of Joe Biden. Um, this is kind of inevitable. You knew that this was going to be where we would lead from uh, Hamlin being injured. And by the way, we still don't know exactly what happened, what medical condition occurred by which he had the, the heart attack and had to get CPR on the field. So far as I know, there still hasn't been. I mean, there's been speculation from doctors That's about right. what might have happened. I heard Dr. Chow uh, on your show and, uh, you know, give an idea of what might happen. Credit which I barely, very rarely seen given, by the way, to all the medical staff and everybody who reacted in real time uh, to be able to get out there and give Hamlin the best possible uh, medical condition and, 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 uh, and treatment. But look, I mean, I think the NFL has three options now, right? Uh, as it goes forward, as it pertains to who the number one seed in the AFC is going to be. Uh, one, they can just basically pretend this game never happened and both the Bengals and the Bills play 17 games and you say, okay, whatever happens there uh, happens. And that could mean that if the Kansas City Chiefs win this weekend, even though the Bills beat the Chiefs on the road in Kansas City, I believe the math is that the, the, that the Chiefs would get to 14-3, and three, and therefore they would be the overall number one seed because the best that the Bills could do was 13-3, and three, right? You could give a tie, which then gives credit to the game for the time that was played but also ends up in the same result, right? Where the best case scenario for the Bills at that point would be 13-3-1. and one. Um, And also, uh, you could decide to, in some way, postpone the season if this game ends up mattering in terms of giving us an indication of who the number one seed is going to be. Maybe you play it at the end of the season. I think probably uh, what the NFL is hoping right now is that the situation you know, takes care of itself and somebody wins or somebody loses who's not expected to, and, uh, and this game is not needing to be the arbiter as to who the number one seed is. I also think, further on this, this is what, when you only have one bye, if there were two teams that were going to get a bye, and the Bills and the Chiefs were both going to get a bye, then I think that most people would say, okay, uh, you know, this doesn't feel like it's 100% appropriate, um, but it's better than the result of, the Chiefs advancing and becoming the one seed, getting the bye and the home field, which is a tremendous competitive advantage uh, as a result of, uh, of what happened in this game. So I think the NFL, I just laid out, you know, that, that's basically their three options. Um, and, uh, and we'll have to see what they could do. I guess I could add a fourth, and I haven't seen anybody suggest this, but they could expand the playoffs and give, uh, and give, the, give the, uh, another team a bye right? Um, so that you had double buys as a result of this. But I think changing the, uh, the, the layout of the playoffs is challenging as it is already is. So I think they're in a tough spot. Um, and it's one that we certainly have not seen a precedent for before. Clay Travis with us on OutKick360, streaming at OutKick.com. Clay, uh, for, for those, maybe there's someone that came up to you and said, hey, I didn't watch the college football playoff. Uh, maybe someone like Buck Sexton, for instance. Uh, how would you describe yeah. how would you describe the college football playoff for someone who never who, who didn't watch it last weekend? 
Well, I mean, I, I think it was exhilarating. And I'm a college football fan first and foremost. And I thought the back-to-back games was probably the best way that you could spend eight hours um, as a sports fan uh, possible. Um, both those games were electric. Uh, you didn't know from one play to the next what might happen. The fact that the kick went off right at midnight uh, on the East Coast was almost almost incredible. Um, and I was actually texting with some buddies, and uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, sports fans are interesting because they presume that everybody else is a sports fan the same way they're a sports fan. And diehard sports fans are actually a minority pretty substantially of the overall population. So a lot of people come in. I always like to use this example. No matter how popular the NFC and the AFC championship game is, at most around 50 million people will watch, right? That's a lot of people. But around 50 million people will watch the AFC and the NFC championship game. I always do. sure you guys do. sure most of the people watching or listening to us right now do as well. And then another 50 million plus people show up and watch the Super Bowl. So I'm always like, you didn't care enough to watch to see who got to the Super Bowl. But once we got to the Super Bowl, a whole nother 50 million people come in and are willing to pay attention. Well, the college football playoff is a little bit like that version of college football where, you know, the most watched, and I think I'm right about this, college football game of the year, around 13 million people watched it. Uh, I think that was the Michigan-Ohio State game, if I'm not mistaken. And then over 21 million people, and by the way, it's a little bit of an unfair comparison because Michigan, Ohio State's uh, on free television on Fox and, you know, the, the college football national championship and the playoff games are on ESPN, which is cable. But around 21 or 22 million people came in and watched the playoff. Well, who are these extra 9 million people, right? Like, so a lot of them are just casual fans. And a lot of those casual fans were sitting around at home with their kids and their wives and, uh, and maybe some friends because it's New Year's Eve. And they promised that they were going to have the ball on when it dropped because everybody wants to kiss, the, kiss somebody and dance around and celebrate New Year's. And suddenly the game ran right into with the time that the ball was going to drop. And I bet there was more panicked uh, changing of the <laughs> channel and everything else uh, for that than almost any sporting event that's ever occurred in history. It's funny. I didn't. Even, I know, granted, I was in the Central Time Zone, but I wasn't even thinking about that. Uh, the ball the hit moment. the ground. But if you're on the East right Coast, as the ball hit, yeah, zero. you're you're definitely looking at that clay track. Oh yeah, it happened literally at the exact same time. Yeah. Now I was uh, out in uh, Utah at the time, so I was two hours behind. So it, I, and I wouldn't have put on the ball dropping anyway. I don't. I don't particularly. <laughs> once you've seen that, I mean, it's kind of you know the kids might enjoy it or whatever. And we watched at eleven, I think, and at twelve uh, out on the the Mountain Time Zone. But, oh, yeah, this was a – I mean, if you go into my comments, because I tweeted about it almost instantaneously, um, there are a lot of people that are out there battling over <laughs> over the remote control on New Year's Eve. And, yeah, if you're a diehard, uh, maybe you've got yourself down in your bunker watching the game and you don't care and even notice what time it is on the clock. Uh, but there are a lot of casual fans who flip around, and for them, that was a war for the ages, I would imagine. We know there was no battle with Buck Sexton. He was definitely no. watching the ball drop. There was no, <laughs> nothing about football being watched with him. Clay Travis, Outkick founder, on with us right now. Clay, your wife, Laura, may have a better answer to this question, but do you think we've seen the last of Jim Harbaugh as Michigan's head coach? I think I certainly have a better answer to that than her. <laughs> uh, she might have a better answer about uh, – you know, my, my clothing options for, uh, for the <laughs> inaugural ball last night in Florida. But, um, but 
I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's about the options that, uh, that he has. And I think, frankly, he can go out a champ now. I know people are upset that Michigan lost to, uh, to TCU. But if you had told Michigan fans uh, five minutes before kickoff uh, of the Ohio State game, hey, you guys are going to win this game by 20-plus but you're going to lose to whoever you play in the first round of the college football playoff. As long as they had known that that opponent was not going to be Ohio state in the playoff, I think they would have signed up for that in a heartbeat. Um, and, uh, and that's because the Michigan Ohio state game is so huge. And now Harbaugh has won it back to back years and he's won the big 10 back to back years. But I think the fact that they required him to take a pay cut and uh, sort of cut his legs out from underneath him, like they did has continued to linger um, and I think, I think you're going to see this happen more and more going forward, which is NIL is making college football coaching a lot more like the NFL than it is college because you're constantly managing your roster. You're constantly having to recruit and figure out how much you're going to pay this guy and how paying this guy that is going to impact someone going forward. And so I can see why someone would look back and you know, if you're Jim Harbaugh and just say, man, the reason I came into college was because the players have to listen to me because you are the you know unquestioned general of the college football team. I think that's why Nick Saban likes college way more than the NFL because there's much less of a power dynamic at play. Quarterback, if he's a stud, is far more popular and powerful than the head coach in the NFL. That's just the reality. Um, and so if you're a college football coach, it's becoming much more like the NFL. And I can see why an NFL coach might say, uh, sorry, a college football coach might say, well, at least in the NFL, everything is even, right? It's really more about X's and O's because everybody has the same salary cap. Everybody has the same rules as it pertains to the draft. And I think, honestly, you can have more of a life in the NFL than you can in college football. Uh, which which sounds crazy, but I think it's much less of an all-encompassing job because you aren't responsible. Uh, you know, in college, on some level, it feels like you are not only now responsible on the same level as an NFL GM and head coach, but unlike in the NFL, where if a player gets in trouble and the phone rings at 2 a.m., nobody's like, "Oh, look at." Of course, it's the Dallas Cowboys. Look at the culture they've created. Most of the time, the player's responsible for his actions. Most people don't blame the team. And uh, so that's the scenario I think that a lot of them are grappling with. Um, so, uh, so it would not shock me at all if Harbaugh leaves. Clay, you brought up the, the phrase power dynamic. And that's what I think about when I think of Jimbo Fisher hiring Bobby Petrino as offensive coordinator at Texas A&M. Bobby Petrino spent less than a month as offensive coordinator at UNLV. Now he's going to be working with and for Jimbo Fisher Clay, those are two strong-willed guys, and Bobby Petrino is now working for Jimbo Fisher. I, I don't know how that's going to work, but I do know that Bobby Petrino is one heck of an offensive coach. What did you make of the move? I think it probably is going to work really well. I mean, you know, you're right. The power dynamic, the struggle there could be interesting, but if you look at the numbers and you just tell Bobby Petrino, hey, all you have to do is worry about the offensive side of the ball, he's a wizard there. And I think Jimbo Fisher, who had a reputation as really a offensive, uh, you know, stalwart, has really stumbled. Um, and uh, and this is his opportunity to kind of say, "Hey, I'm going to be the overall manager, the CEO of Texas A&M Football Inc., 
and somebody else can manage the intricacies of uh, the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. Um, and I think it's a sign, frankly, simultaneously, if this makes sense, of both weakness and strength. Because in hiring Bobby Petrino, uh, what Jimbo Fisher is acknowledging is that his offensive play calling and success has been a weakness of the team, but it's simultaneously a sign of strength to bring in someone who is incredibly accomplished to work under you uh, because you're confident enough of your power that you're not worried about them usurping it. Clay, Titans-Jags for the AFC South Championship. Uh, how how bad could it get, and what's your expectation for Saturday between these two? Well, I actually think the Titans got a real benefit um, because they basically rested everybody that was a little bit dinged up on Thursday uh, against the Cowboys, and now they get the opportunity to play in a short week against the Jags, and they got to play at home on Thursday. Now they get to play on Saturday uh, in, um, in, in Jacksonville. Uh, whereas Jacksonville had to travel on Sunday. If I were them, I would be upset about the way that the schedule got laid out because it seems very unfair. Having said that, look, uh, Trevor Lawrence is infinitely better than Josh Dobbs, and so I would expect for the Jags to find a way to win uh, before all is said and done. I think maybe the last tidbit of the John Robinson era, the kick in the teeth, is basically acknowledging this Malik Willis experiment is a disaster and there's no point in sticking with it. And you got a guy who's only been on the team for 13 days or whatever the heck it is uh, now in charge of trying to go win the, uh, the AFC South. I also think that as much as it's, you know, a disappointing season, I think the Titans are in a rough spot because if Trevor Lawrence continues to develop like he is, it might be a long time before the Titans are in a position to be able to win this division. Um, because I think the Jags are going to be pretty good for years to come. Yeah, and I think they've handled it well uh, throughout this stretch, playing the starters last week. I, I realize the six-day deal, and that I don't know why the NFL did that to them. But the killer mentality for a young team, Peterson, I think, made the right call, and they throttled Houston in a meaningless game. It's been do or so, die for them for a while now, so yeah. why not keep it going? Yeah, I like Jacksonville. Yeah, and I also, I also think, yeah, I also think, by the way, when you look at, at making the playoffs, there's two kinds of way to make the playoffs right? There's, hey, we're taking the next step uh, to make the playoffs, and it's a big deal, and our run to potentially contend for a championship begins now, which is where I think the Jags are right now. And then there's, hey, we made the playoffs, and now's the time to prove that we're good enough to advance to a Super Bowl, which is where I think the Titans have been the last three years. And why I thought the loss to the Bengals was so devastating um, was because it might be 20 years before you have that opportunity again. And people say, oh, that's hyperbole. I don't think so. If you look at the youth and quarterbacks in the AFC right now, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, if Trevor Lawrence is advancing like he is, uh, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert. I mean, I think I just named six. That's almost half the AFC that right now looks like they may have really good young quarterbacks for a decade or more to helm up their team. Uh, and that's not even counting Tua. You know, we'll see what ends up happening with Tua. Kenny Pickett has shown flashes in, in Pittsburgh. The AFC is overwhelmingly stocked with quarterbacks of young pedigree in a way that the NFC isn't. 
And so that to me is, is why it's, you know, quite disappointing if you're a fan of the Titans or if you're a fan of, uh, of one of those teams, by the way, I didn't even mention Deshaun Watson. We'll see if he can ever return to any level of excellence, but I don't know that we've ever had as many good quarterbacks in the AFC as we do right now. And almost all of them are, you know, 27 or 28 younger. Whereas if you look at the NFC right now, Aaron Rodgers is still playing at a very high level, Tom Brady, uh, but there's a, a relative paucity. And by the way, I didn't even mention Russell Wilson, who yeah. I think most people would have said was a top 10 quarterback. He's also in the AFC. There's just a, a, a substantial signal caller imbalance. If you look at the quality of quarterback in the NFC versus the AFC, and I think it's going to be an incredible battle for the next 10 or 15 years based on the youth of many of these guys. Clay, I'm looking at outkick.com slash bet. Final 60 seconds here. 13 and a half. How are you betting TCU Georgia on Monday? I haven't decided on that. I, I, I kind of feel I'm, I'm of two minds. Either this is going to be an absolute battle down to the last, uh, the last second like we saw in the Ohio State game. Uh, against Georgia or Georgia is going to come out and beat them, you know, like 42 to 10 or something like that. And I haven't decided which of those two most likely outcomes uh, I'm, I'm going to embrace by the time Monday gets here. I hope it's just like the semis. Yeah, I, I doubt Georgia comes out. I hope it's a great game. Yeah. I mean, certainly I'm rooting for a great game, but you can't just gamble based on hope. Right, right. Uh, you know, I've done that enough in my life. Uh, you got to figure <laughs> out what you think the numbers are going to reflect. I mean, after Brock Bowers levitated and Stetson Bennett became Roger Stahlback again, yeah. I don't think Georgia can lose. I just think yeah. it's, they're not going to lose. So I don't know what the game well, looks like, I but Georgia's going to win this game. The talent level, I'm big on not looking at individual players, but just looking at the overall four and five stars on roster. Um, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia were th the three by far most talented teams coming into college football season. Uh, obviously, Alabama lost two close games, didn't make it into the playoff. Um, but, uh, but, but I think Georgia is just so far above TCU in terms of talent. Uh, that it would take a, uh, a poor performance uh, from them. And I thought, frankly, Ohio State played almost a perfect game uh, against Georgia and still couldn't win. And uh, I thought Georgia just played okay uh, until, like you said, the last 10 minutes or so. Um, but I think Georgia will, uh, will play much better against TCU. And I think that Duggan would have to have the greatest game of his life uh, in order to find a way for TCU to win. Clay, thank you, man. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll catch up soon. All right, sounds good. See y'all. All right, Clay. Clay Travis. Coming up, we'll uh, recap the show, we'll give you the very latest uh, from the, just the news of the day with Damar Hamlin and more on OutKick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Damar Hamlin's number three jersey, top seller at Fanatics. 
among all sports awesome. since Monday night. And what Fanatics is going to do from the proceeds of these sales, they're going to donate all proceeds to his Toy Drive Foundation. I mean, Which his is toy all, drive it's is over gonna, six right now. It's got to be the biggest toy drive in the world right now, I, I feel like, with the amount of money going into it. Yeah. Which is really cool to see the response to that. Yeah, it hit six million. And, uh, and it's going to continue to grow. How about the story from the doctor that we had on earlier, Dr. Jay Montgomery, about the case that he worked on with uh, a 22-year-old getting hit with a lacrosse, a lacrosse ball at 200 miles per hour where, yeah, I mean, where Commodio Cordis happened. I've heard different pronunciations, by the way. I've heard two different doctors say commotio, like commotion. And then Dr. Montgomery, they said commodio, Cordis. I mean, I think if you're saying something that's that smart sounding, you can say it however you want. (laughs) And it comes across the right way. There is no no correct pronunciation. (laughs) However you say it, if you know that term, medically, it's right. However you want to pronounce it. How do you want to say it? Because I'll say that's the correct way. Commotio. Okay. Let's go with commotio. Then. Like commotion. <laughs> so, Dr. J. Montgomery. When I say commodio, I think komodo dragon. <laughs> that's so, commotio, I, yeah. I think commotion. Yeah. Which that's what they're talking about with it. So, commodio, the Latin hut. And I'm yeah, talking. Yeah, uh, look, my my one year as a freshman <laughs> in high school in intro to physical therapy. Don't date yourself. Thank you, Miss McLeish, my teacher at Mount Juliet High School. Really taught me a lot of Latin <laughs> medical terms. So, when I say commotio cordis. You better believe that I know what the heck I'm talking about. Our show's pronunciation, commotio cordis. It's done. Chad's perfect in the spelling bee, too. You can give you the Latin meaning. Yes. You know. I took Latin in high school, and looking back, I'm, I'm such an idiot. Like there's, <laughs> I mean, why? it's a dead language. Like, I want to know I the mean, derivative of all of our English words. Uh, what was I thinking? I thought I wanted to be a doctor. I took Spanish. So that's practical. You're a practical person. Hola. Huh? Clearly someone who grew up I on pass. a farm. I pass. It's very practical. <laughs> I pass too. But We're back at it tomorrow. I got no Hope you'll join us 3 o'clock Eastern on Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network.